Partial funding for this episode of Fruit Bowl comes from Scruff, the queer dating app. More than 20 million members worldwide use Scruff to connect, meet, and express themselves on a platform that prioritizes privacy and security. Available on iPhone and Android. When I finished filming a Fruit Bowl interview, I asked the interviewee to let me film them dancing. There are a few reasons I do this. First, it just feels good. Most interviews take about two hours, and we sit the whole time and talk about some heavy stuff, so it just feels good to move around and shake it all off. Also, the dancing footage is useful for when I edit the interviews into video segments. This is what editors call B-roll, footage that gives me something to cut away with whenever I condense or reorganize the interview. But there's one less practical, more personal reason that I do it. When I was a closeted little gay boy growing up in Derby, Kansas, I used to love to dance in my bedroom. Janet Jackson, George Michael, Madonna, Prince. It was the only chance I had to just be myself and not care about what I looked like or what people thought of me. In this episode, Donovan describes his early love of dance and recalls taking lessons starting at age nine. But he eventually gave it up because he was afraid it would make him a target for ridicule and bullies. I remember having the same insecurities as a kid. I think of dancing as the perfect metaphor for queer sexuality. Even though many queer people feel inspired to dance, many of us, especially gay men, figured out very quickly that it's not acceptable behavior. We decided to keep our heads down and fall in line and behave in more acceptable ways so that we don't call attention to ourselves. There's a reason why so many queer people are drawn to dance clubs and end up as professional dancers. It's our chance to say, this feels good, and we don't give a fuck about what you think about it. It's kind of our thing. One more curious observation about my request to film my interviewees dancing. I encourage everyone to play any music they want so they can get into the mood, and I estimate that about three out of every four people choose to play Robin's Dancing on My Own, which I've come to realize is about as close as we've come to having a modern, universal queer anthem. Thanks to Mike and Jean-Paul for becoming my latest patrons. That puts us at 27 patrons who together donate $155 per month. This helps me pay for website maintenance, transcription services, promotion, travel, and equipment rentals. Remember, patrons receive early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not publicly viewable. Learn more at fruitpullpodcast.com slash donate. Finally, I'm excited to announce that this is the first episode that was produced with help from my assistant editor, Dave Pesner. Fruitpull episodes take a lot of time and skill to edit. Dave helped me remove most of the ums and likes and you knows that so many of us use in normal conversation. And then I structured the episode so that you can have a more focused listening experience. So thanks, Dave, for all your hard work. And thanks to Scruff for providing the funding for the assistant editor role. All right, that's enough from me. Now here's Donovan. When I'm fucking, I really love you on your back, me at the edge of the bed, because it allows me to come in close and get that kiss and hold it. 
I want this moment where I'm in your mouth and inside you. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm Donovan and I'm 46. I grew up in San Diego. I was born and raised there. This interview was recorded in July of 2019 in San Francisco. Be advised, this interview includes references to sexual and physical assault. I grew up in a little suburban pocket of San Diego that was near Jack Murphy Stadium, which is where the the Padres and the Chargers played. So I lived about eight or nine blocks away from there. Very suburban. San Diego is a very conservative place. It has this background of being a military town. Part of the reason I left uh, was because it was so conservative. My mom and my dad divorced when I was about one and a half. And there was a couple years where she was single and then she married another guy. So for roughly 10 years, this guy was in my house. I don't even want to call him my stepfather. He never adopted me. He was just he was just Jerry. That's what we called him. We never called him dad or anything like that. And then they divorced when I was 11. And she didn't remarry until I was about 24 and leaving the house after I graduated from college. So... I, I like to think of it as like, you know, I kind of had a single mom for a big chunk of my life. Um, have a sister, uh, older sister, two years older than me, who I looked up to and I think I kind of always glommed on to her a little bit. Not so much to her liking. I, it wasn't intentional, but I always liked hanging out with her and her friends. Uh, which she didn't like very much. I learned about music from her, from you know, listening to what she listened to, and I was always really up on music in a way that I think bothered her because we were listening to the same things, and you know, she sort of saw me as that pesky little brother that was always underfoot. So we got into a lot of fights. She used to beat me up quite a bit. I've had toasters thrown at me knives thrown at me, doors broken down to get to me <laughs> for more pummeling. I was a scrawny little kid. So home life was weird. <laughs> Needless to say, my mom was a you know single mom. She worked really hard and she worked long hours to give us the home that we had. But, uh, you know, I was, I was alone a lot. And so I did a lot of reading. I listened to a lot of music. Um, in between trying to hang with my sister and her friends, some of whom didn't mind, some of whom minded very much. <laughs> I had one friend uh, that was a couple blocks away that I hung out with a lot. He and his younger brother, we were pretty tight friends uh, for a couple of years before he had to move away. And... Uh, you know, I had a couple of friends growing up that were never really as close as I would have liked. I never had a crew in that way. So 
a lot of growing up was just kind of me trying to figure it out on my own. From when I was about nine years old till I was 13, I took ballet and I took tap. I was really interested in dance, um, Tahitian, uh, Hawaiian. It was a couple classes I took a week and I would do shows and stuff like that. And it was just what I was interested in. But I knew to not tell people in my class um, that I was doing it. A couple people obviously knew because some of them actually did it. Um, but I was one of only two, maybe three boys in the class that actually took it in a, in a group full of girls. And I knew that it, it was, you know, there was already a target on my back as being a kid that was kind of bookish and not really into sports and stuff like that. I really liked dancing. I really loved it. But by the time I reached junior high, I knew that I had to give it up in part because I wasn't good enough to kind of get to the next level. And also there was kind of this target that I knew was just going to get bigger and bigger going into junior high where, you know, people knew and I would get called fag and stuff like that, even though I didn't really know what that meant. And I knew that it was going to get worse in junior high. So I gave it up. Little things like that. I don't know if that's, you know, a San Diego thing so much as it is just like a conservative thing. I grew up watching movies. I was allowed to watch pretty adult material, not adult films. I I don't think I saw my first porno until I was about 14 or 15. And even then it wasn't really considered a porno so much as a movie that had sex in it. But I knew sex was happening because I was watching, you know, R-rated character dramas from a very early age. I kind of had an idea of, you know, you go to the bedroom and things happen between a man and a woman, you know. Um, And I assumed, you know, that it happened between a man and a man, too, at some point. I mean, I saw 9 to 5 in the theaters 12 times when it was out. I would go on weekends. I w- that was the thing. Like, you know, my mom was a single mom and she had to work long hours and I was a trustworthy kid. And once she figured out that, you know, I was going to the movie theater to see that movie that I w- said I was going to see, she would just let me do it. And so I, I literally saw 9 to 5 12 times at the AMC Fashion Valley 4 and remember Dabney Coleman in Restraints up in the you know up in the air and them talking about you know sex games and M&Ms and you know I remember all of that so it was like I kind of understood what sex was without knowing what the mechanics involved very early on I mean 9 to 5 was 1980 so I was 7 My mom never really did have the talk with me she was really busy You know, I remember really long hours that she had to work. My sex education came in sixth grade. It was a sex education class. I learned about that stuff back then. It was a lot of talk about the anatomy. It was very clinical in that way. I remember the use of a condom and how that that went on. But it was more about STDs, uh... (laughs) that you could catch 
you know, so there was a little bit of a, a fear tactic involved in addition to the, uh, the clinical information about the anatomy and kind of how that worked. And that, that's probably a kind of effective, I suppose, in that it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and it kind of scared me off sex a little bit. Uh, longer than maybe I would have taken. But, but then again, being queer, there wasn't a lot of opportunity anyway. Once I got towards the end of junior high, uh, moving into high school, there was a boy that I had a, a pretty solid singular crush on and uh, knew nothing was going to come of it. We we spent a lot of time together, and I I just knew in my heart that as much as I wanted to to make it romantic and turn it into a thing, he was firmly in the I'm into girls camp, um, and so there was a little bit of heartbreak around that, um, but uh, is what it is, you know. Um, he was my age. Uh, he was just a really good friend, really smart guy, charismatic. The girls all loved him. He was kind of kind of a dork, and I was very much a dork. And so, you know, we got on really well. He was a dear friend. Um, we haven't spoken in a number of years. It's just because of, you know, our lives. It's not, you know, we, we definitely stayed in contact for a long time growing up. But he was actually... He was the third person I came out to, the second person I came out to when I officially said it, and the one I was the most nervous to tell. And he couldn't have been a better ally and friend and confidant. And, uh, you know, I've always been really grateful for that, that we had this friendship. And, and I told him at the time, you know, remember all those years when people thought that maybe you and I were a kind of a thing? Like, well... I wanted us to be a thing, but, uh, you know, I knew you were into girls and not into me. The close friend that I did have had a cousin, and that that cousin's father was dating my mom, at least for a short period of time they were dating. And so we were f sort of forced to spend time together. Uh, and in the course of, you know, play dates and things like that, uh, sleepovers and whatnot, one night um, we kind of hooked up and just kind of fumbling around you know, this is what playing doctors like, I guess. We're touching here and we're doing this. And uh, I remember getting my first blowjob and giving my first blowjob uh, at 12. And it was always like, this wasn't supposed to happen. And then we wouldn't talk about it. And then we'd be forced to be in the same circles again and it was just the two of us, and then it would happen again. So it happened about it happened about four or five times, I would say, 
just because there was a lot of dates and, you know, sleepovers and whatnot. When you fooled around, um, was there any kind of talk or a discussion at all with him? It was like a feeling. It was like a passion, the passion of the act. And then once the act was over, there was distance. It was, you know, there was guilt. There was, this wasn't right. This wasn't, we shouldn't have done this. Probably more from his end than mine. But then my mom stopped dating the guy and we stopped seeing each other. I can't ask him because um, he passed away. He, he died in, a, um, in an accident many years later. And there, and there had been years of distance where you know, we just had no contact. There was no reason for us to contact each other. But I can't ask him to this day. Who knows? Would he have been queer growing up? Maybe that was a phase for him. I don't know. But no, there was never really any talk about it because we were so young. The only talk we had was more like, this shouldn't happen. This shouldn't happen again. And then, of course, you know, a little bit of time would go by and it would happen again, you know. So there was desire there. I was coming out of seeing Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. I was either 16 or 17, and I was riding a bit of a high because it was Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, uh, you know, growing up with some inkling of, of <laughs> what I liked in men was a good double feature for me. And I was walking out of the theater and just had some time to kill before I was going to call my mom. She was going to come down and pick me up. And a pickup truck drove by with three guys inside of it, and they yelled out, you know, faggot. And um, so I gave them the finger, and I said, fuck you, because I was dumb and riding a little bit of a high and feeling, you know, a little bit of bravado, probably. Um, and they slammed on the brakes and jumped out of the car and proceeded to come running at me, um, I got hit once, um, I swung, I definitely connected with one of them, um, but I was kind of off guard and I fell backwards into um, some bushes that were there, uh, low shrubs. And um, I think it probably would have gotten worse, but there was other families coming out of the movie theater as well. This was like the parking lot outside the movie theater um, and they, uh, you know, yelled something and came running over and, and the guys took off running. Um, and so I never, like, I've always kind of held on to that, you know, um, not really ever feeling safe. A couple incidents like that happened, you know, I'd hear about um, people in Hillcrest getting jumped, just walking home from the bars. Uh, Hillcrest is the gay neighborhood. But that was, you know, a couple of years later once I started going out and being out. Between the boy that I fooled around with when I was 11, there was a, a dry spell for about five years before I would have that kind of contact with anyone else again. I, I dated girls, kissed girls, uh kind of had fumbling sex with a girl 
I consider it sex even though there wasn't penetration. I learned from the boy about oral sex, which I then parlayed into oral sex with the girl, the one girl that I've had sex with. Didn't know what I was doing. Felt good to both of us, but there wasn't penetration involved. And that was probably in part because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a condom. I knew you needed a condom to have sex. Didn't have one. Wasn't expecting to have sex on this particular day. And so I improvised. And improvisation was was oral sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I can say that I'm not a gold star gay because I've, I've eaten a girl out. Oh, yeah. is that what a gold star means? Well, yeah, gold star, I guess, is when you... Okay. Don't have any I guess I, you don't have any sexual contact with uh, with a girl. Oh, see, yeah. I was bragging all the time I was gold star, but I, I, well, I attempted oral sex with a girl, but it didn't go very well. Uh. <laughs> I kind of like bailed at the last moment, so maybe I am officially. <laughs> maybe you are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a hot day, so we got a lot further than um, either of us expected to. Yeah, <laughs> and we've never talked about it since. I had a pool growing up, so I'd have a few friends over, and when I was about 17, this one time, this particular guy came within the group to my house, and we're in the pool, we're all hanging out, blah, 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 everyone starts to trickle out and leave, and he was the last one there, and, you know, we're talking. It was fine, you know, it was fine when there was this whole group, but then suddenly we were alone, uh, went inside, you know, we're changing clothes. I think I think that's how it happened. And he kissed me, and I was like, well, we're alone, and okay. And I kind of went through with it, and we got naked, and, you know, he blew me, I blew him, and then he rimmed me, and I was like, whoa, this is, whoa, whoa, you know, this is next level. I was used to oral sex, because that had happened when I was, you know, very young. So, but then he rimmed me, and I almost immediately came and and then I flipped out, you know, not like to him. It was more just like, okay, well, that so that happened, and now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to leave, and I'm gonna go clean up, you know. That one experience triggered a lot of my own internalized homophobia at the time, because he was so flamboyant and so out, and and it wasn't expected that this was going to happen, that it made me really kind of shut down and back away from sex again for a couple of years. Because, you know, like I said, conservative town, you really worry about these sorts of things. I'm not proud of it. And then in school, we just, we were in different circles. So it was very easy for me to just kind of steer the other way. So we kept major distance after that one time. Plus, I still liked girls. I still, you know, had a thing for girls. I had crushes on girls. And then he transferred to another school a couple months later, so it was kind of like, well, we don't see each other anyway. When I was 18 and going to college, 
I was a few months in, I was taking classes, and one of my best girlfriends, who I didn't go to school with, but she lived down the street from me, started dating a sailor. He was 28, and I was 19, when one night we were hanging out, smoking pot, and he he asked me if I was into guys. And, you know, my hackles went up because, you know, this is this is a danger zone, you know, and like admitting it to someone. And so I didn't answer. And he he said, Well, you know, I'm bisexual. And it was like, you know, my eyes went huge. It was like someone actually saying that word, which I knew, but I never had someone say to me. And in the guise of this guy who was Puerto Rican, stocky, really masculine. He was from New York. So he had that, you know, kind of a thick Puerto Rican, New Yorkian accent. And he said this, and I mean, it was like, you know, my nipples were on fire. <laughs> I, you know, because I'd looked at this guy and I thought he was handsome and he looked a lot like the guy that I had a crush on um, in my high school years that was one of my best friends. And so it was kind of like having this, <laughs> this ideal suddenly presented to me. I'm just like, I was sweating inside. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is really happening. And so I said, yeah, I, I'd had some things happen with guys, but I hadn't really acted on it. And I was in college and I didn't really know anyone that was queer yet because I hadn't been there that long. And so later on that night, you know, we're still, we're, we're having drinks, we're smoking pot, we're, you know, talking, laughing. It was my best girlfriend and this guy that, that she was dating. And were you having the conversation in front of her? Yes. She was bisexual as well, but I didn't know that. So it was like I discovered all of this in the course of an afternoon. And as this afternoon went on and there was more pot and there was, there was alcohol, we got into the evening I think she suggested it. There was something along the lines of, she says to me, I bet you couldn't tell um, that I give a better blowjob than he does. And I'm thinking to myself, what? And I was like, well, how would you even know? And she said, well, we blindfold you and both of us would give you a blowjob and then you'd tell us who was better. And I was thinking to myself, I'm so hard right now. <laughs> because it was kind of like I had the balance of the girl, which was acceptable, and the guy, which was considered unacceptable, both right at my fingertips. And it felt like this sort of like, I mean, it was a safe space. They brought it up. I didn't bring it up. So let's do it. Throw on the blindfold. Uh, proceeded to get this super awesome blowjob, and I knew the whole time that it was him. Um, and then there's a pause, and I'm waiting for the second blowjob to begin, and she's like, I just, I can't do it. You're my friend. We've been friends for so long. I, I can't blow you. But how about we go to the bedroom and... You can fool around, he can fool around with me, and I'll, you can fool around with him. Huh. 
okay, not a problem at all. I was so hot for him. I can still picture him to this day, and I just think uh, what a what a hot little nugget he was. Um, I fucked him. We didn't have lube. We used Vaseline, and I'm okay. I have an average sized dick in length, but I've been told, and I would say I have an above average size. Uh, dick and thickness. So what I remember specifically of that day is, you know, him saying, yes, let's do this. I want you to fuck me. Me fumbling around going, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a condom. Is this okay? Him saying it was okay. Me getting over that, but also being so horny and like, this is finally happening. And so I did it, and I remember, you know, him being in pain, that it hurt him, which was very uh, hard for me to enjoy it. So my first time was like that. It was a lot of just, like, fear, um, you know, just thinking about HIV. I obviously knew we were raised around, you know, the proper use of condoms and use condoms every time. And here I was my first time not using a condom very specifically with another guy, which was even higher risk. And I was hurting him on top of it. He said that for him, it was more that I was doing everything right, that I was you know, taking my time and all that, but he hadn't been fucked in a really long time. And so it, it still to this day is a little traumatizing when I think about it in that sense. At a certain point, you kind of get used to what is, you know, happening. Not only on my part, but also on his part, I could see that he was receiving pleasure out of it the pleasure pain kind of dynamic where it's pain, pleasure, 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 you know, and she was watching. She, I I think she, she figured out really quickly that her engaging with me in any sense was going to stop it. So she was just watching going, this is really hot. This is my best friend fucking my boyfriend. I didn't see that coming. She didn't see that coming. And it was really hot, but also, you know, kind of scary. <sighs> That's the complicated part. I, I fell in love with him. He was in love with her. She looked at it as like, this is a fun experience. And now, you know, now that this has happened, you guys won't get together anymore, but that'll put Donovan out. That'll, that'll uh, you know, get him out of the closet. He'll, he'll, he's now over his first experience. Now he can experiment with other boys and feel more comfortable in that. Whereas me, all my emotions turned into, I want you. I, I, I want you. I want that. We did hook up after that first encounter. Yeah, we did. Um, but it was usually when she wasn't around. And so, again, there was like that kind of like, guilt built into all of my early sexual encounters. There was always 
some form of guilt when we got together because she was never around. Mm. And she, she, she knew about a couple of them. I don't think that she knew how many times we hooked up, unless they talked about it, and that could very well be. They had complicated dynamics within their own relationship that I wasn't even privy to, but when I was alone, you know, all I could think about was how much I was pining for him. Yeah. So I went through a lot of that on my own. But, but it wasn't unrequited. I mean, you, he, was re, he was returning your... Your attention. He was returning my sexual attention. Mm. He wasn't returning my emotional attention. Yeah. At least for the most part. There were a, cu- a couple of times where he would, he would say, you know, once I'm out of the Navy, you know, maybe we can pursue something together. Mm. So, like, he left me just enough breadcrumbs to have me continue to pine for him a lot longer than I probably would have. He gave me just enough for me to then for the him to then walk away and for me to go, yeah, he does still want me. He is still into me. What is this going to be like? Are we going to be a threesome? Are you know, are we going to have, you know, just the two of us having sex and then they'll have sex? Am I going to sleep in a separate room? Are we going to get an apartment together? You know, I'm <laughs> I'm 19 and and 20 and and just kind of going through all these things. It's all in my brain. And so it became a triangle that went on for a year. And he was he was a sailor. And so there was a time period where he had to leave and go overseas uh, to the Middle East. There were letters, which I probably still have somewhere. I kept it really quiet. There was one girlfriend that knew something was going on, but she didn't know the full extent. I really only let it out after I had moved on. Things ended badly. They had a very tumultuous relationship, and I slowly began to realize that I was a bit of a pawn that he could use against her. And once I realized that, and I realized that he wasn't really serious about us long term that I pulled away and I said I don't want to see you anymore and I don't want you to come around anymore and you need to figure your shit out with her and so I cut it off from both of them so it was messy in that sense but it it was messier for them than it was for me it was easier ultimately for me to be like I'm going to college I'm meeting new people I don't have to see you. I don't have to spend time pining about you. I don't have to think about you. But I watched their relationship explode in slow motion as I was tiptoeing away. I still look back at it fondly in what it taught me. I look back at him fondly for being my first. Mm-hmm. I will always have those those feelings and emotions. I. I've found myself over the years trying to find ways to reconnect with him. I've given that up over, you know, the past decade. I haven't really, you know, thought about him other than, hey, it's a memory and this is a thing and it's part of my history. But there was a time, you know, where I I kind of desperately wanted to reconnect with him just to see 
where he's at. Is he married now? Is, is he with a man? Is he with a woman? You know, I'm curious. Yeah. I, I, that, that never really goes away. No. But I'm better for everything that happened after that. I pursued romantic entanglements exclusively for a very long time. The first time I went to a bathhouse, I was in my 30s. I was already in the relationship I'm in now, and I've been in this relationship for 16 years. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm some angel, like I haven't had casual hookups. But they've never been very satisfactory to me, and so I don't seek them out. I understand the transactional nature of sex and how that works for some people. But I've never been really satisfied with that kind of dynamic in the bedroom. I usually walk away from it feeling pretty cold. I don't have so much embarrassing moments when it comes to sex as like traumatizing ones. Yeah. Just about like defining the lines of what's okay and what's not okay. And um, I top more than I bottom, but I bottom enough to know what's right, what's wrong. Because I'm thicker, I'm always hyper aware of that line being crossed. And I'm always checking in to make sure that everyone's comfortable with what's going on. I'm not really embarrassed by, you know, uh, a messy playing field. Let's let's put it that way. When that happens, I, I've been with guys, you know, you pull out and suddenly it's a little messier than was expected and call attention to it, stop, clean up a little bit. And, I, and I've always been in situations, almost always, the, the guy is, is very, you know, oh, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm like, don't be sorry, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm not embarrassed by things like that. It's, you know, the human body is what it is, and, I, and I'm, I think I'm just very aware of my partner in the room. You know, my early 20s was all about just safe sex, wear condoms, wear condoms, wear condoms, wear condoms. And now, you know, of course, that's changing with prep and how we relate to sex and how we talk about sex. It's definitely different now than it was in my 20s. And it's a good thing. There's personal ads in San Diego and the back of the 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 back of the date book there was personal ads where some of them were kind of like veiled men seeking men it was you know but you kind of you kind of figured it out it was never like overt or direct because it was the San Diego Union Tribune so it's conservative paper which i didn't really realize until you know later on but some of my first experiences were answering personal ads where there's a little bit of this dance of you not knowing who this person is. There's a little bit of fear that goes into, you know, what am I getting myself into? This person would be crazy. 
one of my first hookups was with a guy that came over. We went out to the beach. We had sex in in the back of his truck. I fucked him. Didn't use a condom. Got an STD. Got gonorrhea. Like that. It was probably my second, maybe third sexual experience. Like fucking. Got gonorrhea. After that, it was all condoms all the time until I got into relationships. And with relationships, we, you know, we'd get tested together and, okay, we're both negative. We've decided we're going to stop using condoms. But casual hookups, it was condom, condom, condom every single time because of that first experience. And, and I remember just going, oh, my God, I got gonorrhea, which means I probably also got HIV. This is how... This is my life now, 21 and young, dumb, and full of cum. And finding out that I was negative after that, Mm -hmm. it just kind of set me on this path. Okay, this is what I'm doing every single time. With the apps, I find that it becomes much more transactional. With the personal ads, you really had to kind of put yourself out there to, you know, like a, a blanket statement and you paid a, a paper to put that in print you kind of put yourself out on the line with the apps it's very swipe left swipe right swipe left swipe swipe right you know i have growler i have scruff um i tried grinder for a hot second and i hated it because it was so anonymous because it was so so many profiles with just chess and i just don't have any interest in that i i like faces my best move is my kiss because I'm, I'm looking at your face when I'm doing it. There's a reason why we're there. Mm-hmm. I'm less interested in chess. I'm less interested in your dick. Those are nice, but it starts with the face for me. And it's different in the sense that uh, my husband and I have been together for you know almost 17 years. So we got together before the age of the hookup app. We technically met in you know in a bar, but there was a slight connection because of online conversation prior to us meeting at this bar. And I think now I don't know what it would be like to be single and using hookup apps to meet people because I've always been more interested in emotional connections. I love sexual connections. I just like there to be a tie-in to the emotional ones as well. Mm-hmm. That having been said, I like meeting people that I enjoy as people and then having that turn into sex. And I'm not looking for any kind of romantic en- entanglements, but I like the emotional connection. I'm not a person that can hook up with you and then act like I don't know you a week later when I see you in the bar. I get why people do that. I do, like intellectually I understand it. Um, but for me, I'm so much of who I am is based in emotion. Yeah. And so it doesn't work for me. My best move is the way I kiss. If we start kissing, there's a better chance that I'll want you to come to bed with me, if that makes sense. I'm a good kisser. I'm very connected. 
I know what you're doing with your tongue. I know what you're doing with your lips. While we're kissing, when you pull away from my kiss, and when we're, there's eye contact. I'm, I don't have my eyes open during the whole thing, but I'm very, very aware at all times of what we're doing with our mouths. I can tell when you're a bad kisser or that you're a good kisser who's not aligned with the way I kiss. Mm -hmm. There are bad kissers. Um, what does a bad kisser do? The goldfish, because it's just happened in the last week. Super hot guy. Um, I was in Provincetown for, for Bear Week. This guy was so hot. Comes over, starts flirting with me. I was blown away that this, this guy was into me. And uh, came up to me. He says, can I come in and give you a kiss? Which is, that's a big turn on for me. Like any kind of hint of consent. You know, just a question like that. It's charming. You don't have to do it. But I like it. I'm definitely charmed by it. Like a, it's a gentlemanly thing. And he comes in to give me a kiss, and his eyes close, and his mouth opens like an O. And I see the tongue, like, almost at the tip. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a bad kiss. And then it proceeded to be a bad kiss, where sort of it was like a goldfish breathing for air. You know, like the, the lips are moving up and down. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I train your head to move your mouth in time with me moving my mouth in time so that our lips are actually together and, and connected? And as we're kissing, I'm just thinking to myself, this is so sad that I'm having to think about how I need to kiss you so that I can enjoy what's going on. There are good kissers that just instinctive, instinctively know what you're doing, they move with it, and there's a connection. A bad kiss, someone that will, for me anyway, will lick you as they're pulling away. Yeah. Like, the, like my, my beard. I'm like, now I gotta go to the bathroom and I gotta wash my face. It's not charming. Yeah, uh, a bad kisser won't get to my bedroom because I've had enough of those where I've thought, this guy is so hot. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to kick myself later. And every single time that it's been where they've been a bad kisser, it's never been a satisfactory experience yeah. ever. Yeah, that's rule number one. I've had good responses um, from people that say, oh... You really know what you're doing. You'll kiss me like that while you're inside me. And it is absolutely true. I like that connectedness. It's my trigger. It's what makes my dick hard. And you'll know <laughs> because we're holding each other <laughs> as it's happening. That's my best move. When it comes down to sex, everything else is negotiable to an extent. <laughs> Not into pain. <laughs> You know, I wish my nipples were attached. They're not. It's such a bummer. My husband's are, and it's fantastic, like, watching his eyes roll up in the back of his head 
when I'm tweaking his nipples just so, or when I'm, you know, using my teeth on them. I can tell, like, you know, the way his body kind of convulses a little bit, that he's super into it. And I think that is the hottest thing in the world. When I'm fucking, I really love you on your back, me at the edge of the bed, because I'm tall. Um, so I, I'm pretty bendy and flexible. So I can get you into all sorts of positions, but I love being on the end of the bed, looking down and, and fucking, because it allows me to mid-thrust to come in close and get that kiss and hold it. Like where it's like, I'm there, I'm inside you. I'm not thrusting, I'm not going for anything. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to jackhammer you. I want this moment where I'm in your mouth and inside you. But even when with doggy style, I will find myself coming over and probably kissing the back of your neck or your back, depending on the height of the person. I'm tall, and so I, I'm, I have a lot of room. <laughs> I have long arms. I, I, I definitely like to caress and cuddle and hold. All of that comes into play. But without the kissing, we're just not going there, you know? If I could give myself a lesson to the younger me, it would be that when you say no in the bedroom, that you mean no, and that you should be willing to walk away from that experience immediately. In life, I've been able to stand up for myself a lot better than I did when I was younger. But I've had a couple situations over, you know, 30 years of of having sex with men where I haven't stood up. The reason I'm on prep today is because I was in an encounter with someone who didn't take no for an answer. And it was one of those things where like, this feels, this feels wrong, but it also kind of feels right because of everything else that led up to it. Mm. And then afterwards it, it was a, well, actually, no, this, felt, this feels really shitty, yeah. and I didn't like this, and I said I didn't like this at the time, and he should have taken that as a no, because if we were in reverse positions, I would have stopped immediately mm-hmm. and said, no, you're right. This doesn't feel good for you? Well, I don't want that. Yeah. And then I spent the next three weeks wondering, was I positive? Could I have sex with my husband, who I wasn't having sex with uh, with condoms. Our rule was always have sex with other people, always use condoms, because we're not having sex with condoms at home. This one time pushed me to say, if a situation like this happens again, no should still mean no, but at the very least, I'm protected because I take Um, responsibility for my sexual health. I take that pill every day. When you say no, mean no. Drop everything. Leave the room. Doesn't matter how much you like this person up into that point. And I've definitely been guilty of allowing a no to become a yes a couple of times, critical times in my life. 
taught me lessons. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say, you know, I have regrets about them, but still a, a hard no should mean a hard no, and you should be able to stand by it. And, you know, I think that we are inclined to think that it happens when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, you know, this happened within the past few years. I've had lines crossed when I was in my 20s, and I've had them crossed when I was in my 40s. So it can really happen at any time. That's why, you know, no should mean no. That's why if I had like a lesson to teach myself, you know, because I feel like there's all sorts of lessons that I'm still constantly learning. So there's not like one that I can point to other than that, because it's a big one one because it it kind of defined, uh, it defined a relationship that I had early on. And then it became a little bit of a uh, a catalyst for uh, change within my current relationship. So those, that is a good lesson to have. The one piece of advice I can give, this comes from a place of uh, of being in a very long term relationship. Communication is extremely important to have on so many levels. There's the, you know, the verbal communication and the nonverbal communication. Picking up on cues of the people you're around is what makes you a better lover and what makes you a better human. Don't use Vaseline. There's plenty of good lubricants in this world. <laughs> I've never even tried it. What is it? Is it that it burns or it's it's too it's too slippery? I haven't tried it as a receiver. Uh, I'm sure for him it probably burned. It's very viscous. It's not slick the way that lubricant is. It feels a little bit more like a silicon oil, but it's thicker. Yeah, don't do this at home, kids. Like, I I don't recommend it. Fruitbowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbullpodcast.com for links and contact information.
Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.